0: Hey friends, welcome to the Catalyst podcast. We hope you enjoy what you're listening to and may you find peace and grace in all the words that are before you. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful to be here with, with this incredible group of people who love you, who are seeking you, who desire to deepen their relationship with and their knowledge of you in their lives. So Lord, may this time be, um, may we be open to your presence more uh, intentionally. May we let go of anything that might keep us from being aware of your presence, any distractions that might be coming up. May we delve deep into your word and know that you have a word for each of us as individuals, but as a community as well. May we listen intently to you together. We thank you, we praise you, in your name we pray. Amen. So yesterday we finished our Catalyst Retreat. It was our first retreat in the last, like, maybe, what, seven years? When was the last time? When we were at, um, yeah, when that was like, what, seven or eight years ago? Where was it again? Willets? Willow Creek. It was Willow Creek, and it was at this, like, really cool farm area. It was beautiful. But what we did this last couple days is we were in Ferndale at a farmhouse and this like property of 120 acres. It was incredible. And it was such a beautiful time of silence, of uh, listening to to God's spirit in our lives, um, and just really resting and eating good food. So we're going to probably do these once a quarter, twice a year, once a quarter. We'll see how it goes. Um, and keep pressing into into that time. So we'll let you know when the next one is happening. And if you have any thoughts about the retreat or things that we could do differently or things that you wish we would have done, please let us know, because we want to do these again for sure. Uh, Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We are ending Mark this Today we'll probably start it back. We're going to start it back up after Advent, but this next week is the beginning of Advent season, so we're going to take a break from Mark after today, and then we'll come back into it. I'm sure, probably in the in January. Uh, but Mark chapter 10 is like this very uh, important turning point in the ministry of Jesus. So if you look at the top of Mark 11 in your Bibles, what does it say? If there's a heading there. Jesus' triumphant entry, mine says Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king, a lot of different headings. This is obviously a huge shift in the gospel of Mark that's happening in chapter 11. And chapter 10, this last part of chapter 10, like sets Jesus up for this experience of coming into Jerusalem as king. The the shouts of Hosanna and uh, son of David have mercy on us, that sort of language that happens in there we're going to see in Mark 11. So today we're going to be in 46 to 52. I'm going to read it through, and I want to sit with it for a second, and I'm going to read it through again, and then if anything comes up or any anything that's resonating, we'll have a quick discussion about that, and then we'll go into what God's given me today too. Mark 10, it says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, "Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me!" Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, "Son of David, have mercy on me!" Jesus stopped and called and said to him, or said, "Call him." So they called to the blind man, "Cheer up! On your feet! He is calling you." Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Anything coming up from that passage? I can tell you that yesterday when I read it <laughs> at the retreat, I read the part "cheer up," and I don't know why, but it came out like a British accent. And I was like "cheer up, on your feet." <laughs> we like could not get past it, and now every time I read it, I think like I think it's like that "cheerio." It's terrible. <laughs> I can't read it any other way now. <laughs> oh. What else, have, what else is going on? Yeah, Megan. Um, I think when it says, I'm telling you tell to be silent. And I think for me, I feel like I have the top perceptions about who's okay. Mm. Like the first time, who's female. You know, okay yeah. yeah. I don't know. That totally, that resonates. Karen, you were going to say something? Yeah, it's the same passage, the same phrase. Wow. And, but for me, it was... Um, that after all this time, now I'm not sure who exactly were the many, but it seems like after all this time of being together, they still get yeah. it. Yeah. That of course he wants to hear from this man. Yeah. And he wants to respond to it. Yeah, David. I like what you said yesterday, that uh, even though this guy, or because he was blind, he was much more perceptive of other yeah the senses, and calling Jesus the son of David uh, indicates that he saw the Messianic Quality
1: of nature of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that messianic
0: quality for sure. Yeah, it does. It seems like it sets it sets Jesus up to come into Jerusalem as king, because if you look at that next passage, it's it's not the people of Jerusalem that are coming around necessarily and like saying Hosanna, the son of David. It's it's actually the crowd that's with him that goes into the city. And so it's like this blind guy is the one that that declares Jesus as king on their way into the city. What else is coming up? Yeah. I was struck by how um well you talked about like headliner is he's going to his triumph in Japan Yeah. the city. This is like the biggest, happiest time potentially of Jesus' life. Like it's his big prom night. Yeah. <laughs> prom night. Yeah. I wouldn't be very present, I wouldn't be very gracious, I wouldn't really be into doing it. And um, how present Jesus is in this moment right. is um a good thing, like this nice to honor on. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Dave. Uh, certainly sort of on what David was saying with recognizing who Jesus really was, but it was the, the part that says, um, go your babies made made well. Mm-hmm. And thinking back all the way to Abraham mm-hmm. was, Faith, because it's not faith that God is going to heal, it's faith in who Jesus is. Yeah. It's it's about the resurrection. uh, I seem to sometimes separate it. That's what our faith is built on. Yeah, yeah. There's um, a passage in in Hebrews that talks about faith in that same sort of thing. It says, uh, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I wonder if the writer of Hebrews, like, was thinking about bartimaeus when he wrote that like being certain of what you cannot see and that i mean i i think that's an incredible example of what faith looks like did you have something I did. yeah i just have a question that goes with it too when it says on um, 50 throwing his cloak aside um my question is like what else is he wearing besides <laughs> you that like going into <laughs> my phone? yeah yeah no that's a good question I you know I've read some things about that and some people think that he was like totally naked because that's all he was wearing almost the sense of um of like that born again sort of a mentality that was happening or he was choosing to leave that behind and I don't know maybe he had clothes underneath maybe he didn't I mean Totally. That's good. Yeah, Megan. You know, but he like out Yeah. That shouting all the more. That persistence, yeah, for sure. That's good. And the fact that um, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? You know, you could think, well it's obvious what yeah what needed to be done why did Jesus ask that question? But I think Jesus wants us to, 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 to figure out what we need. Yeah, know, right. Really specific, right. You know. right. To be specific. Right, right. To be confident in asking what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the passage starts with them coming into Jericho. Do we have slides for Jericho? I don't know if Jason actually put them in or not. We were having trouble with the computer system this morning, so things may not have been going in very well. Um, but they they come into Jericho and this, this sense is, oh yeah, nope, nope. That's a slide from before. That's Caesarea Philippi. It's like a whole area that's devoted to to Pan, pond. We looked at that before too. Uh, so anyway, he comes into Jericho and Jericho, if you think of, um, if you can think of what the map of Israel looks like, you've got like the sea of Galilee where Jesus spent a lot of his ministry. And then there's the Jordan river that connects to the, the, what is that The red sea, dead sea. Dead Sea? Yeah, Yeah, the Red Sea is over there. Um, The Dead Sea. And so Jesus is leaving Galilee, and he's coming down. He crosses the Jordan to kind of avoid Samaria. On his way to Jericho, he crosses back over the Jordan, and then goes into Jericho. And then shortly after Jericho is uh, the city of Bethany, or the town of Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha live. And then right near there, about three miles from Bethany, is, is Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, He chooses to go through Jericho, and Jericho was like this really rocky uh, terrain to get to. It was a very treacherous road. A lot of people who go visit the Holy Land... Actually, Russ, did you walk Jericho Road? What was that like? It's a Roman road. It's a Roman road? And it's very flat. It's very flat now. Well, it was flat then. Oh. Jericho's, you know, it's like right next to the Jordan River, and so... At the base of it's quite flat, but then you go, everything's up from there. Right. The other side is like the worst desert
1: ever. The worst desert ever? Oh. Worse than you
0: could Oh, man. That sounds pretty terrible. But the road going into Jericho on the rocky part was something that was known for robbers and things like that. If you look at, or that's why Jesus used that road as the example for the uh, Good Samaritan, where the boy was, or whoever it was, was um, robbed and beaten up along that road. And he was using that road as an example because it was just so obvious that that's a really difficult road. So it's a fairly sketchy place to get to along that side. Uh, and and I'm wondering, actually, I'm kind of wondering, like, if he chose that road, this one that's fairly difficult to navigate, it's not some sort of simple journey and simple arrival, I wonder if it was like, a Type of metaphor of what it looked like to follow Jesus to his death like he's with a large crowd it says and I wonder if it was a way of getting the curious or the looky-loos or people that were just like what's going on I want to be a part of this cool thing that this influencer that I want to follow I wonder if it was a way to invite people to to go back to go to where they had come from before instead of this new place that Jesus was taking them to But they get down to Jericho, and it's a different city than the one in Joshua. You know, like that song we all learned, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling, which is such a terrible song for Sunday school. Everybody died. I don't know why we sing those songs in Sunday school. (laughs) But anyway, it's a different Jericho. That one was abandoned and destroyed like hundreds of years before. Um, Outside of every city, there lived beggars and outcasts who would be not involved in city life. They were usually people who had disabilities, uh, who had illnesses or diseases that weren't going away. These were marginalized people who were dependent on the charity of those who were passing by, either traveling to Jerusalem, people on the way, or people from the city who were just going to go out and fill out their their water jars at the wells. So people would pass these folks every single day. And what we see is that Jesus and his disciples and this crowd, we're not sure how many people are in the crowd, but they are leaving this city of Jericho. They're continuing on to Jerusalem, and their journey gets interrupted by a desperate man with the strongest faith. Because I am guessing he has been listening to the rumors about a man named Jesus from Nazareth who was restoring people. Jesus hasn't been to Jericho before this moment, so the news had to have spread, and someone who can only hear and cannot see was probably paying attention more to what he had been hearing. Being blind, as David was mentioning, it causes a person's senses, other senses, to kind of overcompensate for the lack of sight. Uh, A blind person usually has incredible hearing because they can pay attention in a closer way than others who... uh, have sight probably can. And I wonder if Bartimaeus had been listening for a long time. I wonder if he had not only been listening to the gossip of people from the same like the same people passing day after day that don't see him any longer because he's basically like a rock on the side of the wall. I wonder if Bartimaeus has was uniquely able to listen to God. And maybe in the chaos of movement because there was no chaos of movement for him or that influx of voices or that constant stream of visual stimulation that happens in this world or that happens within our pockets like so many of us have with us all the time. It makes us itch to want to check that visual stimulation that we have, that we engage with, how we engage with a tool instead of the person sitting next to us oftentimes. I wonder if like his blindness Allowed him to listen closely to God. Maybe his knowledge of God's love for him or God's attention for him was what gave him that confidence to shout out all the more in the first place. And sometimes the confidence that we have in God truly does cause us to shout out all the more when things aren't right within us or around us. But have you ever noticed how your confidence in God might cause others in that crowd of Jesus followers to try to quiet you down a little bit? Like when you've experienced God's affirmation for your personhood or when God opened all these doors for you or the ways that even when circumstances aren't perfect, even when you aren't sure where your next meal is coming from or when you aren't sure if this illness or this breakup or this semester is going to kill you, you are still confident in God's love for you and presence in your life, that it's something hard to keep quiet about. You want to shout to Jesus, have mercy on me, see me, Jesus, turn to me, include me, because I know God loves me, and I'm confident in that love that God has for me, but I also know there's more than this. I know there's more that God has. Yes, I can ask for a better coat or for money. Yes, I can I can continue begging because I don't want to seem greedy, so I just need to ask enough for today, or I just need to make sure that, that there's only this much, and, and I don't want to seem like I'm taking too much. So all I need is today. So Jesus, just bring me enough for today. Yes, Jesus, you can you can bring anything and everything I've ever needed, but I just want to make sure that there's enough for today because I don't want to seem too pushy. Faith, we hear, is hope in what, in having the sense of hope for what we have, but also certainty in what we cannot see. Being living in that space of, yes, the present, but also the hope and the certainty of the future. But Jesus' followers, we see, is saying, stop shouting. Stop making such a ruckus. They're saying, stop it, you're embarrassing yourself. Turn with me back over to the passage. So I'm going to kind of jump around the passage here. It says in verse 48, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. When have you had to shout all the more to Jesus? When have you been so desperate for healing or for inclusion or for kindness or for newness where your faith in God and your trust in God and your belief that God is who God says God is causes you to then shout all the more. It's not that, it, that you're giving up on your faith when the storms come your way. It's not like you're throwing in the towel because things are really, really hard and difficult. But your faith in God is so great, even in those places, that it causes you to shout all the more instead of throwing it all away. When we had, and I've told this story before, but when we when we had our first baby, Matthew, with us, we had him for a month, and the whole time we had him there, we were hoping and praying and asking God, please let this child stay with us. Please let us adopt him. We, we, we just need to keep him. And when we had to give him back, we were just gutted. We were done for. But we knew that we were meant to adopt. And so it, over the course of a few weeks of praying, we like got more calls for another baby. Actually, we were living in Orange County, and we got a call for a baby at Redwood Memorial here in Fortuna. We drove all the way up for this baby. And, um, and so our first adoption failed, and then in the course of nine months, we had 13 other adoptions come our way, and they all failed. And I stood there at births and at hospitals, and I would go home with empty arms every time but we shouted all the more. Every time we shouted all the more. And because we knew that we were called to adopt, we knew that this was how God wanted us to build our family. And so we shouted all the more, Jesus have mercy on us. Jesus, show us mercy. We need your mercy right now. Our faith in God's calling in our lives, it didn't waver. And there were people that spoke other things into our lives. We had neighbors that like did embryo, they did a in vitro and so they had all these embryos on ice, which I know is so weird, but they, they were like, you can adopt our embryos and you can give birth to our baby. And we were just like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but that was really nice. It was really nice that they offered that. Um, and then, you know, other people were like, You just need you just need to pray harder to get pregnant. God's gonna God's gonna bless you to get pregnant. Just keep praying harder, and we're gonna pray with you and And then other people were like, no, no, just try in vitro or artificial insemination. There's all these different options that you can go to. Whatever route would be easier is what we kept hearing again and again. And we weren't hurt by people's suggestions or attempts to quiet us down and our shouting all the more because we knew that they came from a good place. They came from a place of honor and love towards us. They didn't want to see us suffering they wanted to see us in a place where things were were right with us again. But we knew what God was calling us to. We were confident in what God had called us to. And so we shouted all the more. What you see in this passage of scripture here where they say, they tell him, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Why would they tell him to be quiet? It's not like Jesus gave out the agenda to them and it had like at 10.30, we're arriving here. We have no time to stop. They told him to be quiet because every time up to this moment that Jesus healed somebody, what did he tell them to do? To be quiet. Don't say anything. Somebody would, he would cast out a demon and, and, and the person or the demon would say son of David or he would say, well, not son of David. This is the first time it says that. But they would say like, you are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are all these different sorts of things announcing who Jesus was. And Jesus always said to be quiet. But here they weren't. This time he didn't. It says in verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now, Jesus could have called him himself. You know, he could have heard his people say, you know, be quiet. And Jesus could turn his attention over there and be like, oh, no, 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 no. It's all good. Come on over here. I'm right over here. Follow my voice. You'll get here. He didn't. Jesus used the people who were once told to be quiet to do something different. The ones in the wrong at that point who were saying to be quiet, the ones in the wrong who were demanding for quiet, get a do-over to make it right. They're the mouthpiece. Jesus doesn't fix it by saying, oh, no, no, come over here, and everybody's like, oh, I guess we're saying it now. I guess this is okay. Jesus invited them to step into making it right. With Jesus, there is an unlimited amount of forgiveness to do it over, and to make it right. It says in verse 49, keep on going, it says, so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. Cheer up, sorry, (laughs) he's calling you. (laughs) Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Throwing his cloak aside, I think his cloak, maybe he was naked, maybe he wasn't, but his cloak was the only thing he owned. His faith in what Jesus was going to do was made known in that moment that he left everything behind to come to Jesus. Bartimaeus had been listening and paying attention to God for a long time. Long enough to know that the life he once lived was not his future. Think about when you encounter Jesus for the first time. Think about like when you left behind your past and even left behind your present, because he was leaving behind present right then to move into Jesus. When you left that behind for an unknown future with Jesus, that all, it, that was all that mattered at that moment. Nothing else mattered, just that unknown future where everything that once defined you or you placed your trust and faith into was then transferred over to being defined by God's love for you through Jesus, and then your faith and trust began and ended with Jesus. That transfer of who you were was put upon Jesus Christ. David, once he shares every once in a while about how when he came to know the Lord, you know, you he, he were so defined by the Grateful Dead and he destroyed all of it. He destroyed all your music, all of his music, to encounter Christ. But then through, I'm speaking for him, but through his encounter with Christ, he was able to reapproach the Grateful Dead with a whole different lens because he was able to go through it with Jesus in him, which Grateful Dead is its own sort of gospel anyway. Imagine all the, the eBay, eBay cells you would have. All <laughs> <laughs> the eBay the cells. Okay, it says in verse 51 Just <laughs> <laughs> Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Okay, turn the page or look over to verse 36 really quick with me. What does verse 36 say in the same chapter? What do you want me to do for you? Last week, Danielle spoke about James and John. And how they were asking Jesus to do anything for them. They wanted to sit at his right and his left side. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? He asks this blind man the same thing. And the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. He's not asking for what he needs for today. He's not asking for a new coat or new food, or for, you know, extra food or a better home or better job or better partner or better kids or whatever else we would say if Jesus was like, "Here's the cosmic lottery, cha-ching! What do you want?" And then we would say something that is maybe not as meaningful. He knew what he needed, but seeing for him wasn't just seeing. He didn't only get to experience the beauty and gift of sight. Healing for Bartimaeus meant full inclusion into the community of God. Not because God excludes, but because God's people exclude. Not because God wanted to keep people out, but because all of those rules around the temple made it that he could not, Bartimaeus could not go into the temple. He was ceremonially unclean. He could stand on the steps, but he couldn't go inside. He couldn't worship God as God had created him to worship. Jesus' restoration of Bartimaeus' sight restored him to community. He wanted his sight, but with sight came this abundant opportunity to be reinstated and included in God's community. And oftentimes, to get to that place, to to understand that I am so desperate for Jesus, And to be included in this beautiful family that Jesus has has started, it's leaving something behind. He left his cloak and was included fully into this community. And it says here in verse 52, go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Many scholars believe that Bartimaeus' name was included in this story. Um, If you notice, like, all the other stories we've read so far, the healings that Jesus has done, he doesn't say there's no names of anybody he's healed so far. There's the Seraphonician woman, there's the blind man at Bethsaida, there's um, the boy possessed by an impure spirit. It's all of these, like, very generic terms. The deaf and mute man, I mean... No names, but yet they include Bartimaeus' name, and a lot of people believe that it's included because he was so important in the start of the early church, like how he leaves everything and he follows Jesus all the way to the cross, where like Christians would be reading through Mark's gospel, and they would be like, oh, I knew Bartimaeus. I knew that guy. Yeah, yeah, he was my Sunday school teacher. That guy was awesome. Like I, I think he was a familiar person for them that that is why he included the name. The name Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. If you look in verse 46, it says, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. Bar means son, so it's just like son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus twice. The name Timaeus means highly prized. It means without blemish or complete and whole. And I wonder if Bartimaeus knew this truth about himself, Regardless of how society treated him. Like I wonder if he knew he was whole and complete and highly prized even with his disability because his confidence came from his approval of God's love for him and not from how God's people saw him. I know that there are so many people who are desperate to encounter God. Desperate to encounter God's love through Jesus. Desperate to have their need for inclusion met. But instead, those closest to Jesus or those who believe that we have to speak on behalf of Jesus keep shushing their cries for mercy away. And we have to ask, who is crying for mercy around you? As disciples of Jesus, we carry the spirit of Jesus Christ within us, like guiding us and, and leading us. And I believe that we are oftentimes so misguided or so misdirected by the loudest voices around us that are drowning out the voice of Jesus, the voice of your phone or social media the, the voice of impeachment trials and political parties and religious leaders or the voices of, of television and discontentment and greed and beauty and sex and now Black Friday coming up and all of these different voices that are so loud. And these sounds, if given room, will make the voice of Christ who says, what can I do for you? Get quieter and quieter in our lives. These voices can also cause us to ignore or to close ourselves off from hearing another person's cry for mercy. But desperate people are shouting, as all of us once shouted desperately for Jesus. All of us, even those of us who were were basically born in the front pew, who have been a part of Christ's church for a long time, many of us have walked away from our faith, and we've come back because we've known Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Christ fills that void within us as only Christ can. And we were all once shouting, Christ, have mercy on me. So may we be the kinds of followers of Jesus who actually join in on those shoutings, who can advocate for those whose voices have been silenced or shushed, who can see the ways that we've actually done the silencing and the shushing, only to be graciously invited by Jesus to change the tone and the words of our voice into ones of invitation and inclusion. May we be the kind of People with the kind of faith that causes us to be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see right now. May we have ears trained to hear Jesus' voice louder than all the rest. May we go into the season of Thanksgiving and then into the season of Advent where things might feel a little dark, but the hope of Christ's light is arriving. Jesus, we pray that your word becomes true in our lives. We pray that when we have a hard time believing it, that you will believe it for us and that we can believe it for each other. Lord, we thank you for your promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us. May we hear the people who are crying out for your mercy, Jesus. May we include and bring May we love in their spaces and places instead of expecting them to change for us. May we bring your grace and your mercy, your peace and your justice into every space of our lives. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week when we gather here, we uh, have a time of response, and this is a way of us to be aware of God's presence Maybe there is something that Jesus put on your heart within the, the message or within God's word, or Jesus is calling you to, um, to let go of something, to repent of something, to confess something, to be aware of whatever it is that God is calling you to be aware of. So we like to make space for that at the end of our service. We, we sing three songs together. Worship looks how you want it to look. You can stand or sit. You can dance or lay down. Uh, we have communion in the back. The bread represents Christ's body broken for us, and the juice represents His blood shed on the cross, excuse me, for the forgiveness of all of our mistakes and sins. And that when we receive this, we are reminded that Christ has uh, made a way for us in this world. That in His mercy, He is calling us forward. And then we'll close with a blessing afterwards as well. There's also generosity boxes. I don't know where they are. Out there, maybe. I'll look. Uh, this is our, if this is your home we always encourage you to look for ways you can give here and be on this place Amen mm-hmm.